The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 33 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show proudly present to you this spooktacular time. <laughs> Let's welcome the trio's tag team champions of the world. The master library. Heaven straight out of hellions. Sweet Maddie, trick or treats. And the educator of exorcisms. Collectively known as the Haunted House Show. Enter at your own risk. Halloween Havoc 1994. On today's card, we see for the WCW World Television Championship, the Honky Tonk Man battles Johnny B. Bad. For the WCW World Tag Team Championships, Stars and Stripes battles Pretty Wonderful. In a singles match, Kevin Sullivan takes on his brother Dave Sullivan. Arn Anderson then battles Dustin Rhodes. For the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship, Hacksaw Jim Duggan battles stunning Steve Austin. Next we see the Guardian Angel taking on Vader. Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Bunk battle the Nasty Boys. And then finally in our main event in a steel cage retirement match for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, Ric Flair battles the champion Hulk Hogan with Mr. T as the special guest referee. Welcome everyone to another edition of the Haunted House Show. It is me as always, Mr. Maddie Treats. That's right, Maddie Treats? Maddie Trick or Treats? I mean, it is now, we're in November now, so are we still doing the Halloween theme here? I mean, we're still covering the Halloween Havocs. Let me ask the person to my right, which is the educator of exorcisms, the educator of excellence, uh, educator, so how should we go about this? I mean, we're getting into the good portions of the Halloween Havoc, if you will, the stuff people remember, um, and we're in November. So how are we doing this? Are we keeping up with the Halloween theme? We got to stay in character, man. We got to live the gimmick. We got to we got to see this through, man. All right. So I am Maddie Trick or Treats. You're the educator of exorcisms. And to my left is none other than the cousin of the masked assassin, the masked library, Kevin Straight Out of Hellions. Kevin, how are you doing? Good, good. And, and I'm glad we all decided to keep the gimmick going because I had to go through a complete brand reset change uh, a year ago, actually, as of this airing. And I want to do it again. Did you control your narrative there, uh, KH3? I'll, I'll say I controlled my narrative on that one, yeah. yeah. Certain, certain people, many of our listeners know the full story of what happened there. But uh, yeah, we'll say I controlled the narrative of what was public out there. <laughs> can only imagine what was going on there. 
and uh who who knows when it comes to you there kevin so uh guys we're discussing halloween havoc 1994 what an event what a year it has been can you believe we're already in november i mean we had a presidential election like two days ago and this person won i i don't i can't believe it i don't know um of course we're recording this before we're in the post-apocalyptic uh, world um i'm sure there's riots either way with any one of them that have won pretty much i think i drafted them yeah you know what's funny i think we should have put biden and trump inside the cage and have them decide that way certainly would have it, been led to a more clear-cut winner i think would have been as good as the, the match with rosie Trump and Rosie match on Raw many, many years ago. Trump and Rosie. Yeah, there's a Donald My Trump mom? impersonator and a Rosie and a Rosie O'Donnell oh, impersonator. Oh, Rosie O'Donnell. I'm thinking <laughs> Rosie from Three Minute Warning. I'm like, yeah, because I was thinking, no, Umaga was the right Samoan. Yeah, right. He was, was definitely. I thought you got your Samoans mixed up. The delicious cookies. Maybe oh. those are Samoas. Oh. Um, but guys, I, I, first off, I got to give you. Um, we're going to cue the music for this one. Uh, a, a buddy watch update, buddy Ooh. watch 2020. Uh, so of course we've hit the snag with the LOD wrestling buddies. Haven't got them. I have procured a Jake, the snake Roberts into the collection. Nice. I've also have been starting to collect the WCW bash and brawlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the Kevin Nash is now in the building. And we got a one for my freaks and peaks, the big Papa Pump in the building. So we're going, we're going with my WCW guys. Well, I mean, it's a WCW podcast now. So All right. I think there's some variants in there too. Like I think there's a Nash and Red and a Nash and Black. Oh, no. Now I got to get those. Yeah. I know there's a Sting. There's a Red Sting. I got. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about the Nash. I'll have to. I'll have to check. Gotta collect them all. Educator, you know what's up. Still trying to rebuild those Hasbros. If only I knew someone that still had a whole bunch. Who knows? Who knows? Um, But uh, before we get going, a personal thing, guys. Of course, we are waiting till I procure all of the wrestling buddies to do the Ultimo Dragon Tinder Bumble photo. But I have been uh, swiping on Bumble. Got a little matchy match. Oh, um and uh have you spun the wheel yet we had a we had a big moment guys uh when it came to you know just the small talk going through you know you're just texting a little bit here and there through the app and we get the what do you watch on tv question oh no you led with psych i'm gonna guess uh no i i lead with sports okay okay um but I also then put in professional wrestling. Oh, and you Cricket. don't know what you're going to get, right? You don't know if you're going to get the crickets. You don't know if you're going to get that. Um, oh, my brother you know. watched that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I watched that when I was a child. Mm-hmm. It's always right. a good one you get. Uh, a lot of times, too. Um, luckily, this person just wrote, oh, dear God. Um, so maybe she orgasmed. I don't know. <laughs> Um, Sounds but, about uh, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I've been ghosted because of that as well. So, uh, 
Arsenal. I watch pro wrestling, and I own every wrestling buddy, which for some reason, I should just lead with the wrestling buddies. Mm. You haven't been ghosted. You've been Halloween phantomed. There it is. I have been Halloween phantom. Have you ever had that incident where you were obviously with with past relationships? I mean, Educator is married with Sensational Sherry, and um, the wrestling for him... Uh, you know, worked out well, but uh, I know Kevin, you, you've had a, a relationship, a one or two of them, if you will. Um, did you ever have like a super bad experience where you told someone, "Yeah, I watch wrestling," and they were just like, "Yeah, nope, not for me," but <laughs> just took off? So, yes, the infamous ex who left the ECW arena to sit in her car when I was out in California visiting her because her family lived out there she was telling her mom about me you was know. this when you were doing the west coast loop yes 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 my world tour u.s states only so we were uh she was talking to her mom about me and you know what i was at college for at the time what degree i was going for my likes and dislikes my interests and all and she mentions he watches wrestling and her mom said he watches wrestling but I thought you said he's smart. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, mean, she, I mean, I mean, she nailed you, but yeah, yeah. So then uh, I called her mom ignorant, <laughs> and uh, that didn't go over well. We're still together like two more years after that. Who would have thought? My God, you guys were together that long? You're together three years. Wow. And that's like the that's about as long as this Monday Night Messiah character's been going on for. And then and then you you treasures because when I stayed with her for summer in California would message me exactly what's happening on every bit of wrestling because there was a three hour delay. I forgot about that. (laughs) Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! CM Punk drops a pipe bomb (laughs) tonight's episode. I left so much stuff at her mom's house thinking like, oh, I'll be back here for it, for my books and DVDs and stuff. And those are, I'm sure, long gone. Um, Was it, let me guess the DVDs, Um, Son of the Beach, Mm -hmm. um, The the Simple Life of Nicole, and uh, the other one of Paris, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what other what other DVDs were there? What other greats? Did, what did you bring with you? I, I brought like a... So I have a whole binder of DVDs that I only have the DVDs because all the cases were at her mom's house. So I'm sure those got thrown out. I bought a bunch of books while I was out there, so I know I don't have Ric Flair's autobiography anymore because it was there. I'm trying not to think of other stuff or I'll just hurt. <laughs> but however, up in my mom's attic is still a uh, blanket that she was self-knitting over a period of uh, 10 years. So that's just in there. That's uh, not even using that. Not even using that. Start over. Start over. Much like I had to start over with my life. <laughs> Why don't we? Uh, yeah. Um, so if you're listening, and I know you are, uh, Caitlin. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Caitlin. <laughs> we won't say what you call her, Captain. You're the one that still has her on Facebook. I have to keep tabs as your friend. Okay, let's go out there for there as the one friend who it's Facebook. So I don't really take it seriously because it's accessible to begin with. Um, and I got to keep tabs on people. You know, I like to know I'm, I'm friends with all my exes still. I got to see how they're doing, how much better they are without me. Right. And, uh, you know, I have no exes on my Facebook. Well, well, maybe one. It's questionable. 
yeah so anyways kevin uh you know i'm glad that uh you got to rage in the cage in california um all back all back then so um just so everyone knows if you go into our show notes you will see a link for fun.com we are still offering 15 percent off one item at fun.com that coupon code is good until do you guys know the date december 31st Ooh, <laughs> i mean that was my guess you guys coming through in the clutch there guys thanks i appreciate it um yeah so click on that save 15 percent off one item at fun.com you know uh christmas shopping is right around the corner as weird as that sounds so uh make sure you're buying things you don't have to fight with the crowds don't get covid don't get any of that good stuff uh, it's a crazy world out there so stay inside with your wrestling buddies and just order things online that is the way to go but we have one hell of a pay-per-view to talk about. We are talking about Halloween Havoc 1994. The date is October 23rd in 1994. We are in Detroit, Michigan at the Joe Louis Arena. 14,000 people were here for Halloween Havoc 1994. Witness the terrifying rage in the cage. One, what did you guys think of the crowd? And is it me or going from... Uh, New Orleans, which had 6,000 to double the size here. I mean, this just felt like a big, big event. Big, big monster show. The main event, having a billing that the loser must retire or the loser's career is going to be over. So lots of celebrities, lots of hype for the main event. Special guest referee, Mr. T. The show was meant to deliver. I guess we'll discuss whether or not it did. I mean, for for some reason, I can't quite put my finger on it. It almost seems like they took a cue from the start of the rock and wrestling era when let's have a bunch of celebrities in the front row and make it seem like the must-have ticket in town and draw attention for other people to come in. I wonder if there's any sort of connection there of like who might be in the main event. Huh, weird. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, uh, you know, we talked about how we would get the Halloween intro and it was the same intro. And then we got the brilliant Tony Schiavone intro on the last show. And this intro is just a Hogan flair intro. It didn't have to be Halloween havoc. Uh, It it could have just been any sort of intro for it. Uh, But I will say the set was awesome. The set looked great. Um, They really leaned into the Halloween theme on the set and with the graphics, um, we, you know, with the witch coming over and bringing in the live or the name and the ghost and stuff like that really did put you into that Halloween mood. Um, of course you see Muhammad Ali sitting ringside, uh, and then we are greeted by Tony Schiavone, Bobby, the brain Heenan and mean Gene Okerlund for a standup. Of course, uh, Tony Schiavone and Bobby, the brain would be our color commentary team. And I got a question for you guys. How great was it to hear Bobby, the brain back on the call? Absolutely. A a true gem, uh, an amazing, amazing talent at his craft, whether he was as an active role as a manager or was on color commentary. He just he just draws you in and you're sitting on every word that he's saying. Uh, An amazing legend gone way too soon. Truly missed. Even here, clearly not at 100 percent. You know, his voice gets more and more raspy as the night goes on. He's not perfect for it, but everything he's saying is great. He sells tickets. He absolutely sells tickets. Every He's putting everyone over, even 
by boosting the heels. He's making you interested in everything. He's calling the match. He gets himself over too because you're like, oh, Bobby's great. But he's never doing anything that gives him more attention than the in-ring action. Yeah, I really enjoyed um, you know this. And plus, anytime you could get Bobby the Brain Heenan on when Ric Flair is in the yeah. main event, it's fantastic. I mean, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. Um, you know, you 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 remember certain things. You remember um, Jr. and Stone Cold, you, you, like they go together when it comes to that. And I really think Bobby the Brain and Flair. I mean, if you think about a lot of Flair's iconic moments, well, I mean, obviously, number one would be the Royal Rumble 92 when it's not fair for Flair. I mean, that's such a great call. This is another event where he's going over Flair and really selling the idea that Flair is going to end Hogan's career. And it's just brilliant. It's great stuff. I think Bobby calling that rumble is the only time in my life I said, I want to watch this classic pay-per-view for the call of one match, not for the ring action, not for, you know, some gimmicky thing that happens. I just want to hear Bobby Heenan for this entire thing. And that's the only reason I put it on the last time I did. Yeah. That rumble is the one rumble I watch every year, no matter what. I just, that rumble match. Fantastic show. Love it. It's so so good, and we should have been there because <laughs> it was in Albany. Albany, Knickerbocker <laughs> Arena. Yeah, so uh, so after that, we do have the WCW hotline. Mean Gene plugging that, of course. When you call the hotline, you're greeted by Christopher Cruz and the wrestling professor, Mike Tanay. Uh, we do get a national anthem here uh, sung by T. Graham Brown, I think is the name of this legend, I guess. And there's a lot of pyro. I mean, this really did feel like a big big event um so should we should we get right into it guys i think it's time to do it man you know how i knew it was a big event because you start off with the honky tonk man <laughs> taking on johnny b Ben. i do not remember really the honky tonk man in wcw that much um so oh. what is going on here with this with this uh you know with this match he had basically uh end of 94 second half of 94 probably about a four month or so run with WCW, um, obviously his time with WWE ended or WWF at the time ended uh, in, in sometime in 92. And he had been on the indies and so on and then was given a shot in WCW and is coming in as a competitor for a championship. In this case, certainly not the second title, uh, but the uh, world television title. And we have a unique uh, match here. For a 10-minute time limit match between Johnny B. Bad, who's defending the WCW television title, and the Hockey Talk Man. So, Treats, we, we've discussed before how uh, you run a retail store. So, let's say that you were brought in to be the lead of a store. And uh, you see I, that... Okay, uh, I can relate to this. Yep, yep. And you see that there's a, there's a full-time position that's empty. There's probably part of your mind that's like, you know, I know someone at the other store that actually work very well for this and my previous store i wonder if i could just bring this person over i can trust them i don't have to train them that much i could just slide them right into this spot easily and then that's one less headache gone that's one position filled i can move on to the next issue this this benefits me it benefits them and all i think i should do that so hogan coming in and just bringing everyone with him <laughs> The, like the roster change and the focus change from this one in 94 to just the last year 93 is it's like they shut down and completely restarted 
practically. And a lot of it being, oh, Hogan's here. Hey, Terry, can I have a job too? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Hulk Hogan is the tribal chief of 1980s wrestlers. <laughs> I mean, everyone's eating off him. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And guys, it wouldn't be a Halloween Havoc if we didn't start with a, with a, another no finish. <laughs> we, we get a draw right off the bat. I mean, this is a record. I think that's eight matches in a row during the Halloween Havoc series that we watch where, where we, we get a, a, we don't get a clear cut winner. Um, but any, anyways, this was a TV title match. What did, what did you think of the match? Um, I thought it was decent back and forth action. Unfortunately, my frustration with the time limit, with the 10 minute time limit, Honky Tonk continuing to work reverse chin lock, reverse chin lock, and we hear the ring announcer talking about there's five minutes left, there's four minutes match, uh, four minutes left, and he's continuously working wear down holds rather than you know continuing to try to you know finish the match and get a pinfall uh, or, or any kind of victory over Johnny B. Bad. So um, it's it's unfortunate that uh, you know. Hockey was brought in for, I mean, obviously being the friend of uh, Mr. Balea, but, you know, it, the match was what it was. Johnny B. Bad tried to do the best he could with it with the time that they were given. It's, you know, they keep changing the whole gimmick. Is it a 15-minute time limit like we had on a previous show, a 20-minute time limit and so on? So I like the I like the physical title belt. You know me, I'm a belt guy. I like this version of the television title. The one that they ended up having after it, that Hacksaw Jim Duggan ended up finding in the trash. I hated that version. This version, I absolutely adore. Did uh, either of you guys watch a show when you were younger? A little uh, like kids mystery supernatural show called Eerie Indiana. Or any recollection of it? I don't know. Not familiar. Uh, with I know that I believe the uh, you and your brother Sean are fanatics of Eerie Indiana. We very much loved it. It was like... I. I, I feel like it was on on Sundays when it originally aired because I have vivid recollections of watching it with my grandparents and we were usually there Sunday nights for dinner. But anyways, there's an episode where the young boy, the star of the show, Daylight Savings Time comes up and they're like, oh, we don't do that in Erie, Indiana. We just stick with the same time. He's like, that's ridiculous. Everywhere I've lived, we do Daylight Savings Time. So he goes ahead and sets his clock back in one hour and he's brought into this alternate dimension where he can see the quote normal dimension that he used to be in, but time moves differently and he's kind of like apart from it. It's almost like he's a ghost in this alternate dimension moving around. And I got to imagine that another area that does that is honky land where honky talk man is built from and that he is just on his own sweet time frame here. Who the hell gets announced? There's a minute left of the match and puts on a rest hold. Like he is just in his own world and his own time frame for this match. It does not make sense whatsoever. So, anyways, educator, why don't you go break this one down for us? Oh, Hellions. No. Already? Not, not today. So we see Johnny Me Bad backing uh, Hockey Talk Man in the corner with a flurry of boxing like punches, trying to ward uh, Hockey Talk Man off. Uh, Honky Tonk Man goes for a right-hand swing. Johnny B. Bad ducks and ends up catching Honky Tonk Man with an atomic drop. And then as Honky is selling his backside being harmed, he is uh, Johnny B. Bad is rubbing the greaseball hair of Honky Tonk Man, messing it all up. Honky Tonk Man goes out of the ring, stalls for a little bit, gets back in. Honky Tonk Man is able to do a snapmare takeover to Johnny B. Bad and drops a fist on the Bad's uh, forehead. 
Johnny B. Bad fires back with a flurry of punches, uh, but Honky Tonk Man ends up kicking uh, Johnny B. Bad in the knee to knock him down, and then he does a few elbow drops to Johnny B. Bad. Honky Tonk Man is choking Johnny B. Bad over the bottom rope. Bad is able to uh, eventually uh, recover and counter back, and he actually hits a sunset flip onto the Honky Tonk Man for a two count from referee Nick Patrick. Honky Tonk Man starts working one of multiple chin locks throughout the match, trying to wear down Johnny B. Bad. In this first iteration, Johnny B. Bad is able to make a comeback, and he does a few elbows to the gut, a couple of body slams to uh, to the Honky Tonk Man. Uh, Johnny B. Bad hits the ropes and goes for a twisting elbow drop, but uh, Honky Tonk Man rolled out of the way and back to the chin lock. Honky Tonk Man eventually gets Johnny B. Bad up. He sets up for the shake, rattle, and roll and is uh, pandering to the crowd, but Bad is able to essentially back body drop the Honky Tonk Man before he's able to execute the maneuver. Johnny B. Bad is able to hit a few punches to the gut and does an Irish whip into the corner. Follows in with a charge, but Honky Tonk Man is able to move, and Bad basically crashes and burns into the turnbuckle. Honky Tonk Man drops an axe handle from the uh, ring apron off to the floor as Johnny B. Bad rolled out of the ring. Back into the ring, Honky Tonk Man works yet another chin lock while there is two minutes now announced for the time limit left in the match. Johnny B. Bad is able to work out of the chin lock and ends up getting fired into the turnbuckle, however. Bad is able to reverse and does the five corner punches as the crowd is counting. Bad hits his uh, back elbow or hits a back elbow and sets up to essentially do the uh, the big swinging punch, the kiss that don't miss punch. But Honky is able to duck out of the way. He ends up hitting a belly to back suplex on a Johnny Me Bad, and then both men start rolling around on the canvas as the uh, uh, announcer is counting down the time, and there is a time limit draw to open the pay-per-view. Terrible finish to the match. I kind of sort of wish there was actually an extra five minutes and we could tell a little bit of a better story uh, and actually have uh, a clean finish. Um, unfortunately, it is what it is. Not really a great way to open up the show. No, and it just... Honky with the continuous use of the rest holds. In, in, instead of like the young bucks doing a super kick party, it's like he did a headlock party, chinlock party, you know. And there's a way you can do it. Um, the the aforementioned CZW show that I went to, Claudio Castagnoli Cesaro now had this spot where he would keep getting his opponent into a cravat, and like they would do a sequence, and then he'd go, you know, look like he was going for some other move, clothesline, whatever, and lock it back on. And it got over, and it was the funniest thing throughout the night. There's a way you can do an entertaining going back to a rest hold thing. This ain't it. And then with, it, it seemed like, oh, let's put Honky over. Let's make him look good. Uh, Johnny, go ahead and take the beating there. We don't want him to look bad. Who's Which of these two talents has your upside for WCW? Honky's already well past his prime. Johnny B. Bad, you could build something behind him. You've already given him one of your singles titles. Why wouldn't you make him look strong, especially against a veteran? It, it, you would have done, you would have gained more giving Bad the clean win here than this mess. Yeah, and even just to go the distance too with him, like I never thought Honky was. And maybe I'm wrong here, like a work rate guy kind of guy, like in the ring. I mean, this was a this was a passable match. It, it's a it's a decent opener, but 
I mean, it's really a TV match, in my opinion, rather than a, than a pay-per-view match. But um, this show is littered with with TV matches. passable, yeah, yeah it, just passable work in, in matches and nothing too, you know, too electric. Um, there, there's a couple things on here that I absolutely adore, but um, yeah, I don't know what they're I don't know what they're doing and what their game plan is. It's like they're just trying to recreate the Hogan magic, basically. Yeah. So it's they got their you know their new shiny toy down south in Ted Turner World, and they're certainly trying to cash in on what used to be the money cow of the '80s and early '90s, and and just putting their little spin on it just to see what will stick. And uh, you know, I guess we'll uh, eventually see in future episodes whether or not they they are able to cash in and follow through with it. So we follow that up with a video of the Clash of Champions, kind of giving us the backstory to what is going on with Hogan's knee. And of course, Hogan was attacked by a masked man. And then there were two masked men. And, uh, you know, what's, what's kind of going on with the, the clash of champions here. So, uh, you know, there certainly, since the world title switch, since Hogan defeated flair now is the WCW heavyweight champion with the big gold belt that we've talked about the big gold belt. That was at one point, the NWA heavyweight championship. It's got the bent top to it. So and we see Hogan wearing that championship when he comes out. Um, there certainly is. Uh, they're trying to recreate the you know the feud that never happened with Hogan versus Flair. You know, WWF had a, a mild version of it, mostly on the house shows, Madison Square Garden loop. You know, the big match never happened at WrestleMania eight, like you know we originally thought was going to happen. So now the WCW is trying to cash in on that and essentially is setting up you know Hogan with Flair with now we got some outside hired guns so to speak some mystery people in particular the one that attacked Hogan in the knee at the Clash of the Champions you can absolutely tell the mannerisms the body size that was absolutely Arn Anderson under the mask you could tell uh, for the first double team but then you start to get swerves when now there are two masked men and then throughout the night and in the main event that we'll talk about, you know, there's two different sets of bodies that are involved in the main event as well. And then the reveal as to who supposedly it was in the whole time, just, you know, working the knee, doing an angle where Hogan's going into this retirement stipulation or career ending stipulation, you know, injured and uh, trying to, you know, have the champion at a disadvantage. It just, like you're saying, the the missed opportunity WWF had to have the two feud. There's plenty of odd things here. Even in what Hogan Flair should have been, even the WCW version should have been a bigger feud. For million billion dollar companies, there's a lot of money being left on the table all the time. So we followed it up with match number two on the card, uh, which is pretty wonderful. Paul Roma. And Paul Orndorff, Paul Squared, as I like to call him, taking on Stars and Stripes, which is the Patriot, uh, the same Patriot, right? This is Del Wilkes. Yep. Yes, this is Del Wilkes from Japan, who is now, you know, was in the global GWF, Global Wrestling Federation, uh, had gone over to Japan and now is in the United States and is tagging up with uh, Buff Bagwell in this new version of a, you know, tag team and tag team champions defending the titles against uh the veterans here of paul roma and uh paul Undor. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, like like the educator said, the Patriot teaming up with Marcus Alexander Bagwell. I do have to ask Kevin Hellions, Kevin, your dance opponent, Marcus Alexander Bagwell here, uh, shows no dance moves. Do you think he's scared of you? I, I think in many ways, Marcus Alexander Bagwell's intimidated by me. Many ways. My hats are taller. I have more stuff to be more buff. And uh, I've also gone through a very interesting and eclectic group of partners that I now no longer talk to. I will say the most electric thing on the internet, guys, there's a couple things on Twitter. It's the Mongo and friends account. I don't know if you're familiar with Mongo and friends account on uh, Twitter, uh, which is uh, this guy just posts clips of Mongo McMichael wrestling. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's just of, My other favorite thing is, Go to the website Cameo, you know, where you can pay people and just look at the ones Buff Bagwell has done over the years. Of course, he's always he's like every month or something different, like where he's unfortunately he's had issues like where he's been in a car accident. So he's like in his hospital bed with like a neck brace on giving a shout out for someone's birthday saying he's buff and stuff like it's fascinating what this man is going through. So I actually my uh, the the game store owner where I work um, had a, uh, a death in the family uh, last year. Uh, almost about a year ago now and uh his friends actually set up a cameo and buff bagwell did about a, a minute minute and a half video to him you know sending his condolences and wishing him luck and you know you know praying for him uh, to deal with the loss of a family member so yeah it was it's uh it's crazy to think uh how how <laughs> social media how cameo it's uh you know the what people are turning to these days uh when their their wrestling prime is certainly over but yeah very very interesting um, so Kevin, do you think I should buy you a cameo for, you know, Christmas is coming up, buy you a cameo with Marcus Alexander Bagwell challenging you to a dance off? I feel like I could find more entertaining, more, more appealing to me and probably even cheaper for you cameos on there. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think Sonny's on cameo. She's on OnlyFans. Are any of the vivid girls on there? Well, you'd have to look. You'd have to look. So, uh, anyways, why don't we break down this tag team title match? Uh, once again, Halloween Havoc is, you know, where Marcus Bagwell shines in these tag team title matches, it's, it looks like. So, uh, what would you think of the match, Educator? It is just a constant, like, in and out, just continuous tags. I mean, between both teams, this match was about 14 minutes long. Between both teams, there probably had to be about... 15 almost 20 tags in and out just constant combinations back and forth um hellions i hope you're ready man because uh this one is not going to be the hot tag to you i think i'm going to take this one so at the start of the match we kind of have a four-man schmoz to start off the match the patriot ends up uh, getting tossed out of the ring by paul orndorff but at the same time paul roma gets clothesline over the top rope by buff bagwell by uh marcus bagwell Bagwell hits a forearm off of the top rope to uh, Paul Roma, who finally tagged back into the ring after the start of the match. Roma hits a body slam to Bagwell and then climbs to the top turnbuckle, kind of like leaps from the second buckle to the top turnbuckle, kind of turns around, does it in a very, very smooth motion. And he dives off of the top rope. And I've never actually thought about it. I've never seen wrestlers dive like he did to drop a forearm smash onto Bagwell's head. I mean, it looked like it would be an amazing splash that he would do or a headbutt, 
But to do like this front dive off the top rope, he flew uh, to do a forearm smash to a laying down Buff Bagwell to his head. It was just a very interesting spot to me. Uh, Bagwell gets uh, eventually recovers a bit and gets thrown into the ropes. And he ends up rebounding for a cross body onto Paul Roma for a two count. We see uh, a double team hip toss attempt when the Patriot tags in. Uh, and Bagwell and Patriot do a double hip toss to Paul Roma. Patriot goes for a pin count, gets a two count. Bagwell gets tagged back into the match and hits a top rope sunset flip on what Bobby Heenan thought was a missed tag by the referee because he didn't see it as well, but there was a tag. Bagwell hitting that top rope sunset flip to Paul Roma for a two count. Bagwell body slams uh, Paul Orndorff, who tagged into the match twice, and then hits a running clothesline to Paul Orndorff to knock him down. We have a headlock takeover by Paul Orndorff and an eventual tag back in by Paul Roma, who drops an elbow uh, onto a downed buff Bagwell. Eventually, the Patriot is able to tag in, and the Irish whips Roma into the corner and follows through with a stiff clothesline in the corner, knocks down Paul Roma and gets a two-count from referee Randy Anderson. Patriot starts working on the left arm of Paul Roma, dropping knees onto the shoulder, twisting the arm around. Roma is able to tag back out so that Orndorff can come in. Orndorff is putting the boots to Bagwell, who is now tagged into the match, and drops a very awkward-looking grinding elbow where he's gyrating to the crowd uh, and drops an elbow onto Bagwell to get a little bit of a crowd boo. Roma and then fly, comes back into the match with some forearms into Bagwell into his exposed rib as he leaps off of the top rope. Something that was of beauty. I just wish he would have connected a lot better. Paul Roma tosses uh, Bagwell into the ropes and hits a standing drop kick onto uh, a rebounding uh, uh, Marcus Bagwell. He jumped so high, Paul Roma did, that his upper leg completely overshadowed Bagwell's head and like his bottom foot barely glanced buff Bagwell's head it was just an amazing amazing leap Paul Roma just athletically extremely extremely gifted um I just I don't know why he just wasn't a greater success in the ring it has to be either backstage attitude promo something about Paul Roma I don't know what it was but in the ring, I felt he was a, just an amazingly gifted athlete. We see Orndorff tag back in. He, too, whips Bagwell into the ropes, and he throws a drop kick as well to mimic his partner's work. Orndorff begins to continue to, or continues to wear down Bagwell with a front face lock, kind of almost like a guillotine-like headlock uh, to uh, Marcus Bagwell. Roma hits uh, tags in and hits a high knee to the back of uh, Marcus Bagwell. And then Orndorff follows up with a clothesline uh, and got a lot of uh, decent crowd heat for that combination maneuver. Bagwell hits a suplex onto uh, Paul Roma and then does a backslide and gets a two count from the referee. Bagwell ends up leaping onto Paul Orndorff's back for a sleeper hold. But then Roma jumps off of the top rope with an elbow smash to the back of Bagwell to make the save to knock Bagwell off of Orndorff's back. After that jump in, we get a four-man schmoz brawling back and forth. The champs, uh, the tag team champions hit clotheslines to knock both of the men down, their opponents down. 
Marcus Bagwell hits that bridging suplex onto Paul Orndorff. Uh, but while the referee is trying to get the Patriot out of the ring and Bagwell is holding his perfect plex-like bridge suplex, Paul Roma leaps off of the top rope, channels his inner macho man Randy Savage, and drops a big elbow behind the referee's back onto Bagwell. Orndorff then just rolls over on top of Bagwell's prone body and gets the one, two, three pinfall. And we have new tag team champions. Pretty wonderful. You know, the, the match starts and I see who's in there and I'm thinking I'm not expecting much of this match. You know, from three of them, I wasn't expecting much at all. And then one, as we discussed last episode, had some some health issues and all and isn't at his peak. This was entertaining as hell. This was just a fun tag match. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And like Educator was saying, the whole time I'm like, I'm watching this at one point going, oh, geez, Paul Rome was a star in this match. This must be why, like, he must be a, a member of the Four Horsemen soon. I didn't realize it already happened because I'm seeing this version of him in the ring. I was like, yo, you need to have him Four Horsemen. What a star. What a what a great talent. You could push him to the moon here. Um, it, it, The the top turnbuckle where he moves around and i'm like i never knew he was that agile that he could have pulled off a move like that i was just ridiculously impressed by everyone in the match a great one and i think the the move of the night there was paul orndorff's wind it up thing where he starts dancing too yeah he's like gyrating up and down to the crowd to drop that elbow forearm drop crazy what was that because at first i thought it was gonna be like the hollywood blondes when they would do the camera real thing the camera moving i thought they were going for something like that at first and then i'm like what in the hell's going on here um there was just so much fun stuff in here paul roma with a drop kick that i'm like he could have kicked a seven foot guy in the face that leap was unreal i i i was this was one of the most fun matches so far for Halloween Havoc series. I'm not saying a top five thing, but I ha- I went in with no expectations for anyone in this match, and I had a blast. I enjoyed the hell out of this one. Yeah, I agree. Um, actually, this I, I think this card is weird because there's a lot of matches that I wasn't expecting to be good that I really enjoyed. Like it was, it's a lot of fun and, and booked really well, and that definitely was one of the first surprises of the night. So, uh. But moving on, we have Mean Gene talking with Ric Flair. And is it Sensational Sherry? What What is she going by right now? I don't know if she is Sensuous Sherry. I don't think, definitely not Sensational Sherry, because I believe that was WWF trademarked. But maybe it's just the Sherry. I mean, everybody knows who she is uh, and, you know, what her role has been so far in professional wrestling. Sherry Mar- as Sherry Martell. You know, and so on. But yep, she's now here in WCW. I don't know if if it's just me. While Flair is doing his promo and is talking on the mic, I am just fixated on Sherry and her mannerisms and her mouthing Flair's promo and just mm-hmm. her moves, her her eye movements. It's just like I'm fixed completely on Sherry Martell while I'm kind of trying to process the things that Flair is saying in the background. I thought it was a great promo for the match. Sherry. So I'll I'll spoil this now. She's my MVP of the night by far. I I think that she is grossly underrated as a talent for what she has done as a manager for many, many stars. And this one just is a prime example. 
She is fantastic. She adds so much to it. The match is better for her being involved in it. This promo is better for her being involved in it. Like, and and I feel bad that I never gave her the the phenomenal credit she deserves. Yeah, Sherry is great, and she really um, shows her assets throughout the entire evening. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, after that, we follow that up. We get a video of the Sullivan feud, and Kevin, you're you here. You go, buddy, because I know you were talking about Evad on, on the last show. I had so, no idea uh, it was coming so soon. Um, we get Kevin Sullivan versus Dave Sullivan. Um, but uh, two things, mm-hmm. the Dave Sullivan character, who is, of course, ha- comes out to the song. I want to be a Hulkamaniac. Number one hit. Number one hit across the board. If you could describe it, what two wrestlers would you put together to describe the Dave Sullivan character? Two pro wrestlers, any any way in the world. Uh, you put two wrestlers in a blender, blend them up. You get this character. So I, I have the perfect combination. It's it's to me, I would say a combination of the berserker and uh, Eugene. Okay. I, I, I agree. Half. Uh, yeah, I agree with half. I would say Eugene and hillbilly Jim. Okay. Okay. I said Eugene in Mizdow. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's funny, that. though, that he's definitely got a lot of Eugene in him. I mean, he was the equalizer. He was the, the equalizer the first, last show. Yeah, on the on the last show. Um, yeah. So uh, what did you and uh, all these years? I was today years today years old when I figured out that they weren't actually brothers. No, no. which is crazy they because were. they looked and resembled so similar to one another, but just body type. I mean, you know, Dave being taller. Uh, similar, you know, blonde hair, kind of receding hairline at the time. They very, very similar. They absolutely could have passed as brothers, but no, they are absolutely, you know, no relation to one another. I, I have issues with gimmicks like this. I don't like it. Um, I, I won't get into it, but this Eugene, uh, Norman, the lunatic to go way back. I, I have issues with a, mentally handicapped gimmick yeah i get it yeah i think there's a very um fine line to like what they're trying to do and i'm gonna say 99.9 percent of the time when they do a storyline when you have a dim-witted you know mentally handicapped person it never works out no (laughs) it's just what's your end game what are you trying to appeal to and yeah. how how are what what what's the outcome you're desiring when you I'm do a hero. this? I'll say it. As far as I know, I don't know any you know writers on staff for any group. Um, it would it's a very fine line to write a story like that and have, have it go well. I don't think anyone on the writing team is that good a writer to pull it off. No, I mean look at too how look at how the storylines that goes with like Phineas and Otis being. A corrupted by the very attractive blonde woman you know what i mean like even those storylines too they tend to kind of bleed into these where someone's getting manipulated right um and a lot of times they don't you know they don't execute properly for some reason pro wrestling doesn't execute storylines properly i wonder why i just i don't know it is weird but why don't we get right into the match what did you guys think of this one 
Uh, just absolute brutal, awful match to try to sit through to watch. Uh, not good whatsoever. The finish just was so poor. It was just so poor. Not good. I, I would barely even call it a match. Like, uh, yeah. you know, we'll look at the Wikipedia list sometimes and, you know, see what's coming up. And there, I think the last one was in the In Your House series. The bikini contest wasn't listed as a, an official match. It was listed as like a, a segment on there. Right. Honestly, this is a segment. Yeah. So, uh, so with that, um, educator, are you going to do the honors and break this one down, or are you going to, you know, pass this to Kevin? I'm gonna, I'm gonna save Kevin from this one. Oh my uh, god, I'm shocked. I, I assumed it was this one. No, 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 no. Uh, so we've keep... got Kevin Sullivan versus Dave Sullivan. Dave Sullivan coming to the ring, formerly the Equalizer. New I want to be a Hulkamaniac entrance music. Uh, the start of the match, Kevin essentially attacks Dave as he's getting to the ring. Uh, Dave ends up, you know, overcoming and knocks Kevin out to the f- down to the floor. Uh, eventually, back into the ring, Ke- uh, Kevin is able to hit a drop kick and then tries to send Dave into the turnbuckle. And follows through, but Dave ends up reversing and ends up slamming Kevin's head in the turnbuckle 10 times. Dave is able to hit a back body drop to Kevin Sullivan. Uh, Kevin is able to get back up and grabs Dave by his waistband of his trunks to beal him out onto the floor. Kevin ends up firing Dave into the ring post. And Dave just quickly tries to roll back into the ring. As he's rolling back in the ring, Kevin Sullivan is stomping on his brother Dave. Dave is eventually able to recover and attempts to do an Irish whip into the corner, and he follows up uh, with a, uh, a a charge. But and Kevin Sullivan ends up lifting up his boot, and Dave Sullivan, uh, you know, takes a big boot to the face. Kevin Sullivan does a snap near takeover and does the double foot stomp to the gut, the abdomen of Dave Sullivan. Kevin ends up taking the Hulk Hogan uh, bandana that Dave Sullivan had on, and he ends up shoving it down into Dave's mouth and does a second double foot stomp uh, to the gut. Dave Sullivan is able to recover and body slams Kevin Sullivan from the top rope as Sullivan had climbed to the top to jump off. Dave Sullivan hits a clothesline and then beals uh, Kevin Sullivan into the ropes and hits a big boot, very similar to you know how Hulk Hogan prepares for his finish. Kevin Sullivan tries to play a heel here and gets the bandana again and pretends he wants to be a Hulkamaniac and is going to try to put the headband on, but he ends up suckering his brother in uh, for an eye gouge. And then eventually they start brawling outside of the ring. And then suddenly Dave is able to roll back into the ring before the 10 count and Kevin Sullivan is counted out. Dave Sullivan wins. Terrible, terrible match. I, I give you credit for finding enough to talk about for it. Like it, it's bad. And it's because of the Dave Sullivan gimmick. You're watching a, a simple person get abused pretty much for the match made the fool of taken advantage of outsmarted. And then he eats out this victory at nine, the count of nine and a half. And so, you know, Kevin Sullivan at 10 there. And you're just like, God, oh, geez, good. You know, Hey, buddy good on you for getting a victory there but don't you realize this is only going to make him beat you even harder next time because now you've embarrassed him too like i i i get overall the gimmick they're going for it but i feel it crossed the line and went to an extreme that made it 
unenjoyable. I kind of want to make a song about me. I, I want to be a metamaniac. Uh, treats a maniac. You know who would like it the best, though? Other than us? Yeah. The ladies? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, but uh, uh, well, Dave Hellions. Dave Hellions would like that. Dave Hellions? Dave Hellions. <laughs> who would be your Dave Hellions? It's just, whenever it's Dave Hellions, it's always just, we just use uh, Chrome Meltzer. I can't give it. <laughs> Who's your Dave Hellions, Kevin? Just give it to me. I'm going to edit it out. Or I'll leave it in. <laughs> Dave Hellions. Come on, baby. I want to be a treats a maniac. Guess what commercial we're going to have this year? Yeah, I already see it <laughs> So we follow that up. Uh, we are getting, um, which which I really like, especially because we are watching these a year apart. We do get a uh, Dustin Rhodes, Arne Anderson video to really sum up the feud, and they really have these videos throughout the entire show, which is an which which is nice just for our benefit right. because yeah. you know when we're like I said when we're watching it from you know the previous year to see how far they've come. Uh, it, it is nice to have that. Uh, and we go right into match number four after the video, which is Arn Anderson with Colonel Robert Parker and Mang taking on the natural Dustin Rhodes. It's crazy to the, just the, the, the change in Arn Anderson's career from when he returned to the WWF, from the WWF to WCW, being a part of the Four Horsemen, uh, and then tagging up with Bobby Eaton and Michael Hayes to being a part of the revamped Four Horsemen again. Uh, and then eventually now we're in, uh, he's a member of the stud stable with Colonel Robert Parker. And there's more iterations for Arn Anderson for the next few years to come. Uh, we see Goldust here, or not Goldust, Dustin Rhodes pre-Goldust here. And uh, trying to make his dad proud, still kind of emulating his father's gimmick, you know, the cowboy now here uh, with his uh, his entrance gear, the chaps and whatnot. Dustin Rose is starting to become a big boy here, big, big boy. And, and his uh, his gear isn't exactly so flattering for his body type that I'm starting to notice. So uh, fun match back and forth, you know. Great to highlight the feud so that we have a little bit of a backstory since we are, you know, like you had said, we're watching these a year apart, uh, showing how the initial Arn Anderson turn on uh, Dustin Rhodes had happened and now joining and becoming a member of the stud stable. Uh, they're doing mega things to try to build up Meng as being this monster as well. This kind of, you know, uh, bodyguard for the sub stud stable. And, and we'll see that later on in the show. Arn is where he would be even if Hogan and friends didn't come into WCW since mid card, he's in a stable. You can put him in a tag team at any time, get him in there to get a good match in the middle of the card, you know, make someone look good, maybe get a victory himself and all good hand. He's he's right where he would be with or without Hogan. I think had Hogan not come in and brought all of his friends and then friends that come in later on as well. Dustin would have been WCW world champion the way that he was being pushed and run and given a spotlight for all this. I think without the former WWF guy invasion, pretty much Dustin would have been world champ probably within a year of this. Yeah. Cause you think about this, this is October 
And in about a year, he is debuting as Goldust in WC or in WWF at that October in your house. It's crazy to see the timeline too, because we've seen him, um, like we've seen his status really in WCW, not really change that much in what four years, five years that we've seen him. I mean, he had a tag team title, and then he had the United States title, and now he's just—I mean—he's just kind of staying stagnant, right? And you can see why. You can see why he leaves. You can see why Austin leaves. You can see why all these people. Yeah. Um, just kind of leave leave the show here and, and leave WCW very, very soon. Um, but why don't you go ahead and break down what, on paper, Double A, Dustin Rhodes, this should be a pretty good match. Should be pretty solid. Hallings, you think it was pretty solid? I thought it was a good match, yeah. All right. Is it good enough for me to call? I don't know. So we start the match with a tie-up and an Irish whip as Anderson is set in the corner. And Anderson ends up doing a hip lock takeover and Dustin is able to reverse with a set of head scissors. Dustin Rhodes does an atomic drop that propels Arn Anderson in the turnbuckle and Dustin follows as he is rebounding back with a clothesline to the back of his shoulders. Dustin hits a clothesline from the top rope, a diving lariat off the top rope and ends up getting a two count from referee Randy Anderson. We see Dusty uh, or Dustin tried to do his father's version of the twisting punch, the flip-flop fly, uh, double-hand punch, but Arn Anderson is able to knock Dustin down with a forearm shot before he's able to connect. We see a bunch of brawling on the floor where Dustin and Arn Anderson are going back and forth. Dustin is leaned up against the corner turnbuckle post, and Arn Anderson attempts to go for a clothesline. Dustin ends up ducking, and Arn Anderson ends up clotheslining the the turn or the uh, ring post itself. Uh, as a result, now back in the ring, Dustin starts working on Arn Anderson's left arm, and continues to twist the arm and drop legs on the arm and the shoulder uh, leg drops in order to continue to wear it down. We see an Irish whip from Dustin to Arn Anderson, who hits a, is able to pick him up and hit a reverse atomic drop. Dustin ends up going for a lariat clothesline, but Arn Anderson ducks. And Dustin ends up propelling himself over the top rope because of the duck, over the top rope, over the ring steps that were in the center of the ring apron going to the entryway um, over those ring steps onto the floor itself. Anderson is able to Irish whip uh, Dustin uh, uh, into the ropes, and he follows up with a shot to his abdominal region into the gut. And then we see multiple tests of strength, uh, pinfall attempts by Arn Anderson onto Dustin as he's laying on the canvas, only to get two counts from the referee. We see Anderson end up hooking Dustin's legs, and he does like a catapult like clothesline as he brings Dustin up and causes Dustin to clothesline himself underneath the bottom rope. We see both men end up hitting a double clothesline to each other and they knock each other down as the referee starts to count. Both men eventually get back to their feet. We see Dustin hitting uh, with a running uh, or a boot to the gut and then he runs off the ropes and hits like a mafia style stomp kick to the side of Arn Anderson's head. We see a running lariat onto Arn Anderson by Dustin, and for a pinfall attempt, only gets a two count. 
We see an Irish whip by Dustin who ended up telegraphing him attempting to do a back body drop to Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson then hooks his head and tries to do the DDT, but Dustin is too close to the rope and he ends up hooking his right arm onto the rope and Anderson ends up doing a uh, back bump as he's trying to go for the DDT and he's, uh, Dustin's head slips out, so Anderson flat backs onto the uh, canvas. We see Dustin Rhodes pick up Arn Anderson and ends up dropping him over the top rope, very similar to Steve Austin's stun gun maneuver. Arn Anderson attempts to do a pile driver onto Dustin, but Dustin is able to counter with a modified back body drop. But during that back body drop, Arn Anderson is then a, a, attempts to a counter with essentially a sunset flip. And during that sunset flip, Arn is grabbing on to the left rope for leverage in order to try to do a pinfall onto Dustin. The referee realizes mid-count that Arn Anderson's holding onto the ropes. He stops the count. Randy Anderson ends up kicking both of Arn Anderson's arms, grabbing onto the rope. So when Arn Anderson has now released his sunset flip maneuver from Dustin, and he's sitting on the con uh, on the canvas, and he's kind of arguing with the referee, Dustin Rhodes ends up doing a double leg scoop onto Anderson and ends up scooping and hooking his legs for a pin. One, two, three, victory. And Dustin Rhodes wins the match. Post-match, we see Arn Anderson in frustration. He ends up hitting a, D a snap DDT onto Dustin and ends up doing a beatdown onto Dustin as Ming and Colonel Robert Parker uh, watch on from inside the ring. I felt this was two guys standing their ground against the Hogan and friends invasion. Hey, we don't know how you do things up North, but this is how we do an NWA WCW match. And I think if you had, you know, let's, let's say, let's say treats had a, a connection on one of the dating sites. And this lovely lady said, I don't understand wrestling. I don't want to get involved in like a long storyline. I don't want to watch anything that goes on for hours and hours. But do you have one match you could put on so I could see why you like wrestling? This would be phenomenal. No one to put on. You got Arn goofing around at the beginning complaining about a hair pull, which is hysterical. Dustin's dive over the top is disgusting, especially for his size, too, and how much he crashes. It's an absolute grudge match. Like, they're just going at it, beating the hell out of each other. There's a storyline behind it. You get the crowd. You build and build, and the crowd gets super into this match and is loving it. You have a crazy, like, overbooked ending, but one that works. And everything comes together for it. For like, okay, we're going for this, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then Dustin gets the win. You could throw down and someone go, okay, that was fun. I really liked that match. That was good. Show me more, please. And it's, and I think it shows for this new Hogan era, hey, this is what we do in WCW. We put on wrestling matches. I enjoyed that. I love it. I was very happy with this match. Do you think this is potential discussion for match of the night, Alliance? I will say no. It's not long enough. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's long enough either. There's one match to me that I was... There, there, we'll, we'll get to it. One match I really, really liked. I think if this match was longer, maybe had... Because uh, the grudge helps a lot, but maybe if there was like a title on the line too. Right. Um, Honestly, and, and we went back and forth on this stuff during the In Your House series. Honestly, some blood. Right. You know, I, I, I think... 
I think there's a lot here that would have taken just one more little thing to push it over that we could have talked about it. But that one thing's just not there. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty decent match. Uh, so we follow that up with Mean Gene interviewing Hawk Hogan, Jimmy Hart, and Brother. Big Brother, I think is brother the name Brutai. he's going by. Big Brother. Yeah, Big Brother. I don't, you know, again with this promo, just like Sensational Sherry, I'm, I'm enthralled looking at Beefcake. And, and his facial mannerisms and expressions there as Hogan is jaw jacking, even as Jimmy Hart, it's just why, what is, what is he there for? And he's just making these awkward faces. It's just, yeah, it was entertaining. About getting the singles push of his life too. He's probably scared. We follow that up with a video, which is uh, going over the hacksaw, Jim Duggan, stunning Steve Austin feud. Uh, which is a wild feud to me <laughs> that Hacksaw and Stunning Steve Austin had a feud in 1994. Uh, and then we go right into match number five on the card, which is Stunning Steve Austin versus Hacksaw Jim, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan for the United States Championship. Uh, what did you guys think of this match? I, you know, I had, I had remembered that there was a feud that Hacksaw had won the title. I forgot that it was actually an earlier pay-per-view and i i couldn't believe in my head that hacksaw jim duggan had like almost a four-month reign as u.s champion um in my revisionist remembering this i thought this was the show where he was the unannounced opponent and ricky steamboat was injured not the the fall brawl so i'm again thankful that there are these recap videos and reviews uh, uh, to help explain what's going on, because I had misremembered when the actual title swap had had taken place. Um, I knew there was a rematch between the two, and I had thought maybe that was at the uh, the November Clash of the Champions. But apparently, no. This is uh, this is Fall Brawl that he won the championship, and now it's kind of like a return match, a return match to defend the United States title to a now prepared, stunning Steve Austin. I have no recollection of Hacksaw being U.S. champ at all. Honestly, when it was announced, I thought, well, this has to be one of those things where, like, he took it from the actual champion and he's wearing it and pretending that he's champ, but he didn't actually want it and is recognized as a legit champion. And I was very wrong, but I just have no memory of this at all. Yeah, and even watching this match, it's very odd to me how you can't see the kind of performer Austin is. Right. Because he's bumping like crazy. Yeah. He's reacting. I mean, he is phenomenal in this match. Right. And he really, not that Hacksaw is bad, but Hacksaw is Hacksaw. I mean, you know what you're getting with Hacksaw. And, you know, um, there, there is, there's, Austin has some comedy. He's got some seriousness. He's got it all. I mean, he, and he, I thought he was fantastic during this match. It was kind of like Hogan versus Michaels, but dialed down. Right. Yeah. So, uh, why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us there, uh, educator? All right. So we have referee Nick Patrick uh, uh, refereeing the match between Jim Duggan and Steve Austin. Hot tag to Hellion. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Kevin Hellions Halloween Havoc Breakdown. Oh, so, for the listeners... Educator and Treats have their video cameras up too. I don't, and actually on this new setup, maybe I'll start doing it. 
but I can I can see Educator starting his call of the match, and I see Treats give a look. And the look said to me, hey, I thought this was Kevin's match. Why are you starting the call for it? So I was just like, oh, all right, maybe there's a mistake. And I'm waiting for them to start texting each other. There it is. Text just showed up on camera. I'm waiting for them to start. I'm on Bumble. I'm I'm talking on to to (laughs) some ladies on Bumble. I'm texting each other like, hey, I thought Kevin was calling this match. And then I'm looking at the rest of the card. I'm like, maybe it's the next one. It's probably a tag match, though. All right. For my match of the week. And for any new listeners... This goes by my notes. As I watch the show, I take down notes. I do not know which match I will be calling. I can never guess what match I will be calling. So these are just my notes as is, like they would be any other note. Uh, I don't want to throw this out there because one of you dicks will run with the idea. But it'd be interesting if I use my notes for the entire card. <laughs> Maybe I'll post it on social media. <laughs> for our Patreon listeners. There you go. <laughs> okay. Stunning Steve Austin versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Thankfully, I got a lot of notes for this match. (laughs) For the U.S. title. I don't recall Hacksaw as U.S. champ. I don't recall Hacksaw with any title. Besides finding the TV title in the trash. Austin all over Duggan from the start. Duggan fights back with power moves. Austin attacks the knee. Duggan grabs tights for a roll-up attempt. Classic 80s wrestlers that are face using heel tactics. These steps right on the entrance side of the ring screams bad idea. Did Bobby the Brain ask about driving with Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Austin (laughs) Austin oversells. Austin distracts the ref, back kicks Jim Duggan in the cul-de-sac. Austin off the top, Hacksaw moves, Austin crashes. Oh, he's overselling the hell out of this. I'd leave the company too. Jim goes for a three-point stance. Austin back body drops him over the top, over the top, so it's a DQ. Hacksaw Jim wins. Austin runs away from the two by four. That's it. That's the two notes. That's it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that has been Kevin Hellion's Halloween Havoc breakdown. I love Austin clearly pissed off already in the company and just overselling the hell out of this, but it's not a good match though. It's entertaining for backstage and political reasons, but not for an actual match. It's crazy to see um, Jim Duggan in this in this version of his character in 94. And I remember him when uh, a year ago in WWF where he was wearing the powder blue like body singlet. And was feuding with Yokozuna and then got taken out by Yokozuna and Banzai dropped. And just like how like, you know, completely done Jim Duggan was. And now because of backstage politics influence, he's like a viable member of WCW. It's just it's crazy to see. It's it's all about who, you know. And, uh, and, and the backstage clout that you have and it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, why don't we take a quick little commercial break? Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hi everyone out there. This is Maddie Treats. And I'm actually just talking to one person out there. Mr. Dave Hellions. I want to be a treats-a-maniac 
The buddies got my back. It's time to roll. Talking sushi rolls. I want to be a treats a maniac. The buddies got my back. Let's start the show. The house show. I want to be a treats a maniac. The buddies got my back. Swipe to the right. You know you want to. I want to be a treats a maniac. The buddies got my back. We can do it all night. If the buddies can watch. Do you want to be like me? Pound some car sushi and wrestle with your buddies. Wrestle with your buddies. Do you want to be like me? And pound some car sushi and wrestle with your buddies, baby. Wrestle with your buddies, baby. Woo! Woo! We're getting it all up in there today, baby. I guess that's part of being a treats a maniac. Now, Dave Hellions, hope you had your notebook out. Hope you were taking notes. I know your brother Kevin was, because it's pretty simple, guys. I want to be a treats-a-maniac. The buddies got my back. It's time to roll. Talking sushi rolls. I want to be a treats-a-maniac. The buddies got my back. Let's start the show. The house show. I want to be a treats-a-maniac. The buddies got my back. Just swipe to the right. You know you want to. I want to be a treats a maniac. The buddies got my back. We can do it all night. If the buddies can watch. Just let that sweet, sweet music ride for a little bit. Woo! Thank you guys. This has been Maddie Treats. All right, so we are back, and following that, we have Mean Gene uh, talking with Sting on the WCW Hotline. Um, And then we get another video package for our sixth match on the card. It is the Guardian Angel, a man that is all about law and order, taking on Vader. Um, They kind of go over that feud. And then we get match number six on the card, which is the Guardian Angel versus Vader. Of course, Vader has Harley Race in his corner. Uh, Two things, guys. Number one, I didn't realize Harley Race managed Vader for so long. Am I crazy? I mean, growing up, I thought it was just a a quick little blip. But, I mean, this is year after year after year. No, no. I mean, he was honestly with Vader for probably about two, two and a half years uh, it's early 95 when Harley Race starts to step away from wrestling from WCW and then Vader ends up going on his own for the remainder of his run until he jumped ship to WWF. I mean, honestly, I, I associated them with each other for so long, like just a, 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 as a pair, as a partnership. And then number two. Um, so, Kevin, I need your um, I need you to help me out here because you are a man that can see things and get things you put it out into the universe things come true okay okay i i I know where you're going here i'll say it on the podcast maddie treats would like a beret and jacket to be a member of the guardian angels 
uh, close. Okay. okay. Um, but uh, you're you're close there. All right. So are you ready? So repeat after me. I, Kevin Hellions. I, Kevin Hellions. Cousin of the masked assassin. The masked assassin. <laughs> brother of Dave Hellions. Soon to be on this podcast. <laughs> I'm talking to you, Chalkline Clothing. Talking to you, Chalkline Clothing. How did I not see this coming? <laughs> Maddie Treats for this Christmas would like a Vader Plus Harley Race jacket. Maddie Treats for Christmas would like a Vader and Harley Race jacket. Which is the jacket that was worn by Harley Race at Halloween Havoc 1994. Based on the jacket Harley Race is wearing at Halloween Havoc 1994. We just just wanted to put that out there. Because I love that jacket. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. So what what did you guys think of the Guardian Angel here? Um, Is this some of the the best boss man work? Uh, As far as a big man match, I thought this match was really good. The only thing, unfortunately, that kills the match for me is the amount of involvement with Harley race being in the ring when being in the ring in front of the referee and there's no continuity of the rules and why isn't there a disqualification and so on. Um, it, it was a decent match back and forth between the guys uh, competitive, so to speak here. I'm noticing Vader is looking a lot heavier and is becoming a little bit less mobile I don't know if you guys picked up on it or noticed it. At least to me, he uh, he's starting to struggle uh, being able to move around. But uh, certainly not the same Vader from 92, uh, WCW champion Vader. But uh, competitive match back and forth between the two. Much more competitive than I thought it was going to be. I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. And I, I understand from a referee point of view, your, your annoyance, we'll say, with Harley Race's shenanigans. But from a, I can't believe he can still do this and take these bumps at his age and health. I was impressed with him. Yeah, absolutely. I thought this was a a fun match. Both guys, I thought, did well. Harley Race was getting involved. Um, you know, uh, even though the Guardian Angel is 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 that like the good Hell's Angels? <laughs> I think it so. It was. Oh. New York City, because it started out New York City thing, I believe. New York City had a citizen vigilante problem in the 80s. There's actually, uh, there was an anniversary recently of um, a man was uh, accosted on subway and shot the people right there on the subway in New York City. And he was praised as a hero. And other people were like, he took the law into his own hands and shot people in the middle of the subway this isn't helping anything there's a big debate on new york city you can trace characters like um charles bronson movies the punisher in comics this like i'm gonna take the law and the guns into my own hands thing and then eventually a group came along they're like hey violence is only beginning more violence what if we went out there and were just nice and helped people so they would like walk people home they would be mediators they would assist nonviolent ways no guns no weapons nothing you can't have anything like that but we're all kind of big guys a lot of them had been through prison system and it's like let's try to make our neighborhoods a better place through nonviolent means here and then for some reason, here's Big Bubba Rogers as a member of them. All right. Well, Educator, why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us? 
All right. So we first have the Guardian Angels introduced, and he makes his way to ringside, followed by Vader with Harley Race. And before Vader is even in the ring, the Guardian Angel is already attacking Harley Race to start the match. <laughs> Race is in the ring, so Guardian Angel Irish whips him into the ropes and ends up doing a clothesline to knock Harley Race down. Eventually, Angel uh, uh, and the Vader start tying up in the ring to get the match going. And the Guardian Angel backs Vader into the corner and ends up slapping Vader in the face twice. Uh, and got some really uh, unique response from commentary. They were kind of shocked that Vader just allowed the Guardian Angel to slap him twice. We see Vader responding with some clubbing blows to the chest and upper body to the Guardian Angel in the corner uh, to eventually knock him down. We see Vader set up uh, for three short-arm clotheslines and then does a fourth clothesline to knock the Guardian Angel over the top rope onto the floor. On the floor, the Guardian Angel reverses an Irish whip attempt by Vader and ends up sending Vader into the guardrail. Vader hits the guardrail, and then the Guardian Angel follows through with a running clothesline onto Vader. The Guardian Angel gets back into the ring, and for some reason, Harley Race is now in the ring as Vader is on the floor, and the Guardian Angel ends up body slamming Harley Race in the middle of the ring and begins to punch him while he's laying down on the canvas. Vader eventually gets back into the ring. The Guardian Angel ends up body slamming Big Van Vader on top of Harley Race, whose body is now laying in the ring after he himself was body slammed. So we got a big old Vader flop onto a prone Harley Race's body mid-match. The Guardian Angel ends up doing a corner Irish whip and follows up with a big avalanche splash onto Vader. The Guardian Angel is able to do a front-standing suplex to the 458-pound build Big Man Vader. Vader is able to eventually rebound and recover and does three or four right stiff jabs to the jaw of the Guardian Angel. And then does a big old overhand club to the face to knock the Guardian Angel down. Vader ends up climbing up to the second rope and it goes to a do attempt uh, some kind of maybe shoulder block or splash like attempt, but the guardian angel is able to get up in time and actually catches Vader mid air and does almost like a scoop like power slam to Vader kind of reminded me of like a, a Rick Steiner catching uh, someone off of the second rope for a clothesline. Uh, the guardian angel then ends up climbing up to the top rope and leaping off in one of probably one of the weakest looking Headbutts, I think, guess it was trying to come off as uh, down onto Vader on the canvas. And then the Guardian Angel does a go for a pinfall attempt, but it only gets a two count from referee Randy Anderson. Then we see the Guardian Angel do a move I never thought I would ever uh, see. He ends up kicking Vader in the gut, who catches his leg, and then does uh, Guardian Angel does an Enziguri kick to the back of Vader's head. And I thought it was just impressive by the big man. Uh, then we see a bunch of uh, clotheslines or a clothesline by the Guardian Angel who knocks Vader over the top rope into the floor. Now, Vader gets back into the ring, and I'm wondering if you guys paid attention to this, saw it, what your thoughts are. Do you think there was a botch mid-match that caused an injury? Do you think the Guardian Angel was legit knocked down? We see an Irish whip by the Guardian Angel to Vader into the ropes. Vader rebounds and hits what to me looked like a weak 
clothesline, but like the guardian angel, the big boss man, he flopped right back and was laying prone on the canvas for a while. In fact, at one point, you know, he was down long enough, like Harley race kind of like walked over and started mouthing words to him. I want, like, I thought like even race was even checking on guardian angel to see if he was knocked out, injured. What did you guys think of that spot? I don't think concussion, but he absolutely got his bell rung. Yeah. It was just an awkward bump. It, it it seemed like it was a weak clothesline or it maybe they just, you know, they legit bumped heads or something, but he flat backed hard and just, you know, right down and just did not move for a bit. So eventually Guardian Angel is comes to his senses, gets up, Vader ends up doing a scoop body slam to the Guardian Angel. Vader climbs up to the second rope and does his swagger bomb, Vader bomb splash off of the second rope for a a two count. There is a second attempt for that Vader bomb splash off of the second rope, but the Guardian Angel gets his knees up and Vader comes down crashing onto the Guardian Angel's knees. Guardian Angel hits the ropes and does a splash onto Vader's laying body for a two count by the referee. The Guardian Angel then picks up Vader and does a modified spine buster. Guardian Angel then picks Vader up. Irish whips him into the ropes and hits a version of his sidewalk, side slam, spike slam, boss man slam from WWF lore. And as he goes for a pinfall attempt, Harley Race ends up getting on the apron to distract the Guardian Angel. And the referee uh, doesn't even make a pinfall attempt count. The Guardian Angel, frustrated with Harley Race's involvement, grabs Harley Race, who's standing on the ring apron, and suplexes Harley Race into the ring from the apron. And Vader times it almost perfectly that as soon as the Guardian Angel's body hits the canvas from suplexing Harley Race, Vader is doing a running big splash, and he comes crashing down right on the Guardian Angel as he hits the suplex. And he ends up covering uh, the Guardian Angel for the big one, two, three victory. Inconsistency in terms of the referee. Why is the referee counting uh, the big pinfall attempt if, uh, you know, Harley Race is in the ring after just being suplexed? I don't know. Good match, but a decent match between the two. Just, again, the involvement uh, with Harley Race and why the referee is not calling for disqualification. It's just, you know, not consistent. No, no continuity in the referee. Your, your referee consistency question there. What counts and what doesn't count for someone going over the top rope? We had a DQ earlier, but there's multiple spots where someone goes over top rope and it's like, well, they didn't mean for their opponent to, or the ref didn't see you or whatever. I'm like, the, this is the flaw with your rule here. It only counts when it, it only counts when you want it to count, but it's also a very obvious visual move that the fans are going to see when you don't count it. Everyone's going to see it. Um, I think it's one of the best big man w- matches we've seen in our podcast series. I was very impressed with both guys. I liked it a lot. And it, I mean, there's that stiff shot you met. Well, not even stiff shot. It just seems it seems like a lucky shot, like a shot that caught just right to kind of knock a guardian angel boss man there down for a bit. But, man, they beat the living hell out of each other. This is just such a, a violent match, a physical match. They're going at it. It just seems like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and 
beat the hell out of you. So if you want to hang in the ring, you've got to do it too. And I'll take it. And I, I actually enjoyed it a lot. It's one of my favorite Vader ones I've seen in the series so far. Not that we got a lot of, you know, Ray trailer and any gimmick, but I, I love this. I hate that guardian angel gimmick. I don't know how, if, if it was marketing, if a deal was struck, if they're trying to promote something or if they're just like, geez, what's a law and order thing that we can do in WCW and not have to pay for or, or, or have the rights to, or whatever. We'll go with this. How would you have brought the big boss man in then? How would you have changed his gimmick from the start? Bounty Hunter. What would you call him? Why, why can't he be Bubba Rogers again? Yeah, I would have done the big Bubba Rogers NWA. I mean, he eventually transgressed back to that for a bit uh, before he ended up joining Dungeon of Doom um, at some point. Why not call him the big Hoss man? No. No, no, no. Team up with Charlie Hoss. No, no, no. Sheriff Rogers. You know, why not? Yeah. Why not the lieutenant? Yeah. You know, um, it seems like they were leaning into that, but I will agree with the educator. That was perfectly timed by Vader at the end. That ending was awesome. I was like, now that's how you do it. Like the timing on that. Cause a lot of times you see that happen nowadays and spots now are so choreographed that it just looks, it doesn't look natural. And that looked natural to me more so than, than some of the spots we'll see now. Um, so anyways, we follow that up with mean Gene Okerlund talking to Thomas, the Hitman Hearns. And I just thought it was interesting because yes, this is the same Hitman that in 1997, him and Bret Hart would get into it on raw or pay-per-view, you know, on a WWF event. So, um, kind of, kind of interesting that he was, he flirted with professional wrestling. He was just a, a boxer, Kevin, cause I know you're well aware of that. Um, so anyways, why don't we go into match number seven on the night, which is Terry Funk with Buckhouse Buck with Colonel Robert Parker and Mang taking on the Nasty Boys. And guys, uh, Kevin, I know you said Sensational Sherry was your MVP, but Terry Funk in this match is unbelievably amazing. He's great. I mean, he's hitting himself in the head with a chair. He's going, I mean, he's going berserk here. Uh, it, I, he just... I'm reminiscing now back on Terry Funk's role and involvement in WCW. I it's it's crazy to me. He had three distinct runs. He had his run run with with early WCW in '89 when he was in the first Halloween Havoc episode that we had already talked about with the Thunderdome. He has this reprisal role as a part of the Stud Stable in '94. And then in 99, 2000, he's back in WCW again as like the commissioner and is the middle-aged and crazy post Chainsaw Charlie WWF run. It's crazy how he just, he, he just, he's around, he goes away, he comes back. He's around, he goes away, he comes back. This is great. This is pre-ECW. Um era here or you know there's a little bit of overlap i think with some ecw time because this is now 1994 uh yeah terry funk's just crazy in this match funk's the best part of this match by far uh quick question for educator i'm pretty sure i know the answer nancy's have been to wwf and returned at this time right oh yeah 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 so when we when we did the 1990 episode where they're you know they had that tag match with the steiners 
they had left uh, WCW maybe two, three months later. I mean, uh, Sags was in the Royal Rumble in 91, and then they had their they won their WWF tag titles like three months after that at WrestleMania 7. So they have left, they have come back, and uh, and now they've, they've already had some tag title runs. They had a feud uh, with... Uh, uh, Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan, uh, Cactus Jack and Max Payne. I mean, they had an amazing brawl earlier in 94. Uh, I think it was at Slamboree. So, yeah, the Nasty Boys, they're now in their second run in WCW at this point. So as I'm watching the show, like you said, Kevin, you really enjoyed the, the Dustin-Arn Anderson match. Um, I enjoyed that too. That was in the lead for probably my match of the night. And then I really liked the guardian angel Vader match, but I still thought Dustin Arn was better. And then I got to this match and I really enjoyed this match a lot. And now this is in the lead for match of the night for me. As weird as that sounds, even though it's a very short match, I just enjoyed it. And it's all Terry funk so far. All Terry funk. We got one other match. We got one other match on the card. We'll find out if that's my match. Of the All night. Terry Funk and the third Nasty Boy that, you know, made its debut, the big orange pumpkin uh, that the Nasty Boys brought to the ring. Just crazy. We got Jerry Sags bringing a monstrous carved jack-o'-lantern to the ring. And following behind him, we have Brian Knobs. So this is 94, so it must be, and I guess, you know, it's me just forgetting. It must be MTV's Beavis and Butthead was huge. At this time, because we got Brian Knobs with Beavis and Butthead masks that he's carrying on his hands to the ring. And then he throws them out to the crowd, I guess, is, you know, gifts to a couple of lucky fans in the crowd. Well, it's just like how Golgo carried Cartman. That's true. Yeah. You, know, you know, they're just it's pop culture. They're trying to trying to appeal. to get it. Makes- Plus, I didn't realize how much the nasty boys looked like Beavis and Butthead because you had the darker haired one and the blonde. Yeah, I can see that. Oh my gosh, I never thought of that. That is. Crazy. I wonder if they like someone made a reference that oh we're gonna beat these Beavis and Butthead guys up or something like that, and they were feeding into it or crazy. Um, so educator, why don't you go ahead and break down this? T- t- it's Terry Thursday here on the retro. <laughs> so right at the start of the match, we have a four man schmoz brawl just to start it all out, and at some point, somehow, I'm not sure. But Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck are now rolling around on the uh, in the canvas, brawling with each other, not realizing, I guess, they're attacking each other. They roll out on the floor, and luckily they almost start to really come to blows, and then they realize, oh, wait a minute, they're not supposed to be fighting each other. Back in the ring, uh, Terry Funk and Brian Knobs tie up. They start trading blows back and forth. Uh, Jerry Sags tags in, does a snap mare to Terry Funk, and then a hip drop onto Terry Funk, where he's going out of his way to rub his butt cheeks back and forth along Terry Funk's chest. It's kind of weird to see that spot itself. Uh, eventually, Jerry Sags grabs Terry Funk and then does the pity city uh, maneuver to Brian Knobs, where he shoves Terry Funk's face into Brian Arms's armpit. That was a thing that they did in the WWF. Uh, before they had come to WCW. Bunkhouse Buck tags in, and him and Brian Knobs are now tying up with one another. There's an Irish whip in the corner. Jerry Sags gets tagged in, 
And then Funk is in now involved in the match, and he gets tossed into the same corner. That bunkhouse buck was just Irish whipped into by both Nasty Boys. And then both Nasty Boys basically follow up in the corner and just do a, a brawl beat down of both men in the corner who end up rolling out of the ring to essentially escape. Uh, as Funk rolls out of the ring, he gets frustrated. He picks up a chair from ringside and he just starts hitting himself in the chair in the head because he's frustrated that he's being, you know, you know, st- overcome by both of the nasty boys and he just can't seem to get ahead in the match. So back in the ring, bro, Jerry Sags and Terry Funk tie up again. Uh, Sags sets Terry Funk up onto the center of the top rope. And ends up doing a chop that causes Funk to flail backwards and fall over the top rope onto the ring apron. Bunkhouse Bunk uh, Buck then follows in down to the floor and ends up attacking Jerry Sags, who followed Funk out to the ring. And uh, both Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck now are starting to double-team Jerry Sags on the floor. Back into the ring... Uh, Jerry Sags is able to overcome some of the double teaming by both of the heel uh, members of the team and ends up doing a double face plant buster to knock both Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck down. Bunkhouse Buck is able to recover and starts to get the upper hand as Knobs was eventually tagged back in. Bunkhouse Buck tries to do a loaded glove for an object spot uh, and the referee sees that Bunkhouse Buck is has got something in his hand and he's kind of holding it behind his back. He turns his back bunkhouse buck in a way where now he is, his back is facing to where Ming is sitting, standing on the floor and Ming is able to reach up and grab the foreign object out of bunkhouse bucks hand. And the referee really doesn't see that exchange take place as he's admonishing bunkhouse buck for having the foreign object. So now Ming takes the foreign object and now walks around towards the opposite side of the ringside. And at this point, Terry Funk is holding Brian Knobs, both of his arms prone, so that Ming can take a swing and hit Brian Knobs with that foreign object. But in the process of Ming doing so, Brian Knobs ends up ducking, so Ming crushes uh, Terry Funk with that foreign object to knock him down. Now, as this is all going on, the referee is still dealing with Bunkhouse Buck, who's selling that he's not hiding anything because Buck knows he's trying to allow Meng to do his damage. While that's all happening, Jerry Sags brings the pumpkin that he had carried down to ringside into the ring. He sets it in the middle of the ring. He picks up Terry Funk and does a, a jumping pile driver onto the pumpkin and just completely destroys the pumpkin. And then gets out of the ring so Brian Nobbs can roll over and the referee counts the big one, two, three victory. The referee apparently didn't see any of the smashed pumpkin around at all in the ring. So Funk is great, as said. Uh, there must be some sort of confusion there with uh, any one of uh, Colonel, Colonel Robert Parker's charges there because Buck and Funk get fighting each other for a, a bit. Much like Colonel Parker got confused on whose boots he was grabbing. On a previous pay-per-view, the, the the stud stable guys just need to pay more attention to their surroundings and what's going on. Um, I asked about the Nasty Boys WWF run because these are not the nasties that we saw fight the Steiners. These are cartoon character nasties. As abs- the pit stop is what pushed me over. I'm like, this is just a cartoon thing. Buck just seems 
there. Funk, as as stated, steals the show absolutely. But then I I just end up like, this is right before the main event. Maybe they're calling it a calm down match or something. I'm like, this whole thing is just a joke of a match, and I and thankfully it's quick because I really just didn't care overall for it. A joke of a match between with with people I didn't expect to be in a joke of a match, you know. Uh, you guys are wrong because this was fantastic. It was fun. Terry Funk was awesome. So we move on with Mean Gene in the ring with Eric Bischoff, and they're giving Muhammad Ali an award. Um, and then we get to our main event of the evening, which is Ric Flair with Sensational Sherry taking on Hawk Hogan with Jimmy Hart in what has to be the smallest cage I've ever seen in my life. This thing doesn't even doesn't even touch the apron, the canvas, and it, they can touch the top of it just by putting up their hands. What was going on with this cage? Why is it so small? I I just they wanted to do I guess maybe something different uh, than WWF's presentation. This is '94, so WWF has you know their their big thick blue bar cage at this point as their primary cage. And WCW has been known for their uh, their Thunderdome cage as well as the double cage for the Fall Brawl War Games. So I guess maybe they're just taking advantage of the super high ceilings in the Joe Louis Arena and they wanted to do a different presentation where they can have a full cage drop down from the ceiling because prior to this, and, and both of you guys helped me out, do you remember prior to October 94, a a vertical cage dropping down from the ceiling other than the, the big Thunderdome cages other than Thunderdome. No. Cause I was trying to think of like when this, I want to say technology and that's not the right term because you know, it's, it, it's not like it was a, uh, you know, brand new iPhone or digital technology or something that made it possible. You just had to have someone rig it up, but it, I was surprised it was that far back. I'll say, I didn't realize that, this pay-per-view had it and other than Thunderdome. Yeah. I can't think of anyone earlier than that. So we get Michael buffer who does the intros. Okay. With the lowering of the cage with Michael buffer, I'm watching this. The crowd's going nuts for them already. This really did feel have a, you hear it all time and it's a cliche, a big match feel, but this definitely had that feel to it. Yeah. Um, and then we get to the match guys. <laughs> and I, adored this I, this is this is my match of the night yeah it's by far my yeah. match of the night. this is a top five match and, uh, yeah, and we're gonna be talking it, about it, this one yeah i was shocked yeah i was absolutely blown away i did not think i was going to enjoy it as much as i did there it's just punches back rakes chops flair falls down it's just, flair just bumping his tail right. off for hogan it's fantastic though which got me thinking yeah, so this should have been the main event for WrestleMania 8. Um, what a missed opportunity. And then it got me thinking, what what other like big missed opportunities were there when you had both of the guys under contract? There was nothing holding it back. They just didn't execute. I mean, this is, to me, the biggest mistake because these two, and I know you, you hear everything about, oh, they had some house show matches and the matches weren't working out. They weren't that good. 
people would have ate it up. This crowd was so fired up. It really did remind me of Hogan rock right with the, with, it was just two stars and people were going nuts and it's a great match. It it really is all the shenanigans. Um, And I don't know if it, especially the end of course, with the masked wrestler and brother Brutai and yada, 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 and the attack on Hogan at the end. Um, I don't know if it's nostalgia for like, Oh, Hogan gets attacked. You know what I mean? Like just kicking in. And I, but I was like, I couldn't help. I had a smile on my face the entire time I watched this match. Yeah. And I and I remember fourteen year old uh, educator of excellence really loving this match and sensational Sherry's involvement because <laughs> oh baby, she didn't she had no problems showing the goods. Let me tell you, it is an incredible sports entertainment match. I just think the the worst thing about the match, though, is the fact that Ric Flair retired after it. That's awful. Last match ever. Permanent ending to his career, man. It's terrible. Yeah. So, uh, Educator, why don't you break this one down for us? All right. So, again, the billing of this match is that this is supposed to be a career-ending uh, career match with Mr. T as the referee. I, I the the cage coming down and it, it wasn't even balanced coming down. It was like all janky and like cockeyed to the you know the, the back left of it as it's coming down as we're facing from the hard camera. You know, at least they got the they got it set up. But you're right, the cage it just it seemed so weird with it being so tiny. You're right that like any of the wrestlers could literally have stretched their arms up. And it was barely an eight foot, eight and a half foot cage. Um, But it it did its job in in for the many spots that were in the match. And the crowd just dug this match. They were just they both competitors had the crowd right in the palm of their hands. Crowd just ate it up like crazy. So Hogan starts his match and he's still got his do rag bandana on. I don't know why he didn't bother taking it off. He starts punching Flair in the corner uh, and and firing Flair down. Uh, Hogan does an Irish whip to Flair into the corner and ends up uh, a rebounding Flair. Then ends up getting back body dropped by Hogan. Hogan follows up with a clothesline. Hogan ends up climbing the turnbuckle and is using the top of the cage to hold his body. And he's like using the bo- the bottom of his foot to essentially choke down. Uh, Rick Flair with his foot. Mr. T ends up breaking it up and Hogan and T start jaw jacking back and forth. At one point, Mr. T shoves Hogan and Hogan isn't too happy with that interaction. And this is giving time for Flair to recover and Flair is able to poke Hogan in the eyes or do a thumb into the eyes uh, because Hogan was more concerned about Mr. T and interacting with Mr. T. Hogan ends up blocking Flair's attempt to run or ram Hogan's head into the cage. And instead, Hogan himself rams Flair's head twice into the cage itself. That could have got a pretty good crowd pop. Flair ends up doing a chop block and starts working on the bad left leg that got injured and attack uh, from that, uh, that masked man in a black attack from previous shows that were recapped. At one point, Mr. T and Ric Flair end up having a face-off, and then T ends up doing a shove to Ric Flair as well. So we're kind of seeing how Mr. T is actually being, not really being partisan to one or the other. We see Ric Flair ramming Hogan's head into the cage. That ended up getting a decent crowd pop. 
Ric Flair attempts to do an Irish whip in the corner, and Hogan reverses, and Hogan follows through with a clothesline into the corner. Hogan rams Ric Flair's head into the cage, and then it ends up picking up Flair for like a body slam, but instead ends up doing like a javelin ram of Flair into the side of the cage as well. Ric Flair ends up climbing up to the top rope when Hogan and Mr. T are facing off again, and he ends up uh, dropping an axe handle onto the back of Hogan to knock Hogan down. Flair is able to pick up Hogan and hit a standing vertical suplex on Hogan, and actually it was kind of like British Bulldog-esque standing vertical suplex. He held Hogan up for a few seconds. It was actually quite an impressive sight. After that suplex, Flair goes for a pinfall attempt, and then here's where referee Mr. T just looks absolutely terrible. It takes T forever to get down on the ring uh, canvas. He barely lifts his hand. He more or less slaps the canvas one. There's a kick out, but he still slaps the canvas two. It's just the cadence is crazy. Tita has no clue what he's doing in there. Hogan and Flair end up trading chops back and forth. At one point, Flair ends up climbing the cage and Hulk Hogan follows. As Hair, as Flair is trying to escape the cage, Hogan ends up choking Ric Flair by dangling his throat over the top of the cage. At one point, after that choke uh, attempt over the crossbar of the cage, Flair ends up dropping and falling and almost and crotching himself over the top rope. Flair is able to recover and eventually starts chopping down on Hogan twice. And Hogan ends up no selling those chops as if he's ready to start hulking up. He ends up ramming Flair again into the cage itself. And again, crowd is eating every minute of this match up like crazy. Uh, Hogan ends up uh, grating Flair's head back and forth across the cage in response, Flair attempts to climb quickly over the cage itself, jumps on the top rope. He's leaning over the cage. He's got his waistband kind of essentially dangling over the top crossbar. As Hogan is following, uh, Hogan ends up reaching over the cage and starts ramming Flair, who's dangling halfway over the cage. He starts ramming Flair's head into the cage like crazy. Eventually, Flair falls and flops back into the ring again. After a few moments, Flair is able to recover again. He ends up picking up Hogan and doing that shin breaker to start working on the lower leg and knee. He does a knee drop onto the shin and onto uh, onto his knee uh, a few times. Ric Flair starts ripping away at the bandaging tape and the knee pad of Rick Flair, uh, of Hogan's knee and continues to work on the knee as he's going to get ready and he is successful in setting up and slapping the figure four onto uh, Hulk Hogan in the ring. At one point during the figure four, Hogan's shoulders are to the mat and we hear Ric Flair screaming at Mr. T, count him, count him. Mr. T does not understand what count him, count him means. He should be counting his shoulders to the mat for a pinfall. But instead, we see Mr. T counting one, two, three, like it's a chokehold or something. Again, T has no idea what he's doing, how he's refereeing this match. And it's just, it's too bad. So Hogan is able to turn the figure four over to put pressure on Flair's lower body. Flair ends up able to release uh, and escape from that attempt. 
Hogan attempts to do a shoulder block by bouncing off of the ropes to Ric Flair, but Ric Flair kind of pulls Mr. T in the middle in between himself and Hogan, and Hogan ends up bumping T, knocking T down to uh, the canvas. Flair at one point ends up stomping on Mr. T to make sure he's down, and then we start to see Sensational Sherry climbing up to the top of the cage. Jimmy Hart wants to thwart off Sensational Sherry's attempts, and he follows her up the cage, grabs her by the waistband to try to yank her back down. But in the process of falling down and pulling her down, her entire skirt gets stripped off of her body. So we get to see Sensational Sherry in her uh, black uh, uh, garter belt undergarments and her uh, black undies on just full display. Uh, Sherry then climbs down and ends up fighting off and knocking Jimmy Hart down. She ends up climbing up to the top of the cage again while, again, just sporting her black undies for everybody to see. And then we see Sting, who was sitting at ringside. He gets involved. He climbs up the cage and grabs her and ends up dragging her back down. When he is successful in dragging Sensational Sherry down, all of a sudden a masked man, uh, all in black gear from earlier, uh, comes from underneath the ring. So he must have been underneath the ring the entire time. And he has a a metal pipe with him and he ends up knocking out Sting uh, with that metal pipe or that metal club. And then as Jimmy Hart tries to make a save, he ends up knocking out and knocking down Jimmy Hart as well. Sensational Sherry climbs up to the top of the cage and she ends up jumping off of the top of the cage and lands a double axe handle onto Hogan who had recently just picked up flair and was holding him up in the air in a double, uh, double thrust choke. Uh, and Hogan ends up no selling the double ax handle. Like what in the heck just, you know, swatted me in the back as Hogan turns around, uh, to see Sherry in the ring. Flair ends up chop blocking Hogan again in the bad knee, knocking Hogan down so that now sensational Sherry and Ric Flair can start double teaming on Hogan. At one point, Sherry strips off her vest, and now we're seeing her completely in her undergarments, uh, her under tank top and so on. She ends up pulling out a set of handcuffs from her bra and ends up handcuffing Mr. T to the ropes. And I love the commentary and Bobby Heenan saying that this isn't the first time that Sherry's used a set of handcuffs on a guy. Pretty, pretty fun stuff here. The masked man that had knocked out Sting and Jimmy Hart, he climbs to the top of the cage and he kind of drapes that pipe over the cage. Uh, Sherry and Flair double team and ram Hogan's head into that pipe. Sherry is now completely pseudo or naked here, uh, just in her garter belt, tank top, black undies for the entire world to see. She's helping Flair continuously attack Hogan. At one point, Flair suplexes Hogan, vertical uh, standing vertical suplexes Hogan. Hogan no-sells and starts hulking up. He does a double clothesline, knocking down both Sherry and Flair. Uh, at one point, Hogan slams Sherry, who's trying to escape by climbing over the, uh, the top rope in the cage, ends up slamming her off the top turnbuckle or off the cage top rope uh, to the canvas. Hogan ends up beeling Sherry into the ropes, gives her the big boot. Flair tries to attack Hogan again. Hogan ends up hulking up, throws Flair into the ropes, hits the big boot, drags Ric Flair's body over by the downed Mr. T, who's been handcuffed to the rope. 
Hogan hits the big leg drop, and right next to Mr. T, Mr. T's able to count the big one, two, three pinfall victory. And unfortunately, this is the end of Ric Flair's career. Ric Flair is a far better wrestler than Hulk Hogan, and he shows it in this match. But Hogan just has something with the audience, something with the fans, listening to the crowd, the sports entertainment work. You, It's just something intangible. But the way he can make all these basic moves into this incredible entertaining match is a talent. Mr. T is just a prop in this match. He's unnecessary. He, as Educator pointed out, is a terrible referee. Honestly, I would have rather he run in and decide the victor at the end and had another referee for the majority of the match, kind of like Mike Tyson at WrestleMania. Like, have your spot at the end, but other than that, please stay on the outside. But the absolute star of the match is Sherry. The, The risk she takes, the confidence she has... The willingness to go along with everything in this match, I I can't believe she did all this. She's an absolute star, deserves to be a Hall of Fame. I kind of wish that women's wrestling was more prominent in her prime, so she could have had more chances to, to show that part of herself as well. But God, she makes this match so well. Um, My biggest surprise of the match is how the hell Flair didn't bleed. I am stunned. And they it looked like they were going for it too and just couldn't open him up. But there was a lot of shots to him at first. I was like, he's gonna bleed. He's gonna be bad. He's gonna like his hair will be dyed red, level of blood. None of it. I was shocked by it. And it's such a cartoony sports entertainment 80s goofiness, but damn it, it's done so well. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said earlier, I Loved this match. I loved everything about it. It is just so much fun to watch. And then, of course, you have the aftermath of the match, which, I don't know, Educator, do you want to break down what happens after the match? So we have the pinfall victory, and Hogan is now declared the winner. The cage is now raised back up towards the ceiling, and we see Hulk Hogan uh, going down to ringside where a lot of the special invited guests worse uh especially muhammad ali who was sitting at ringside and at one point jj dylan i'm sorry not jj dylan nick bockwinkle who was the acting commissioner so to speak for wcw on, uh, on tv he ends up handing the championship belt to uh muhammad ali who then hands it over it kind of like as an award and they both kind of get their hands raised by mr t and so on hulk hogan goes back into the ring and then you see in the background Muhammad Ali and his whole entourage and a bunch of stars are are leaving ringside. I, I guess they were being drawn out of there because they didn't want to have them sit through the, the post-match and what was happening. So we get a very long uh, extended celebration. Hogan's pandering to the crowd. And you can visibly see there's a lot of people. This The night's over. Everything's all done. They're leaving. And maybe three or four minutes into the celebration, all of a sudden we see a new masked man uh, coming down to ringside, and he's got this long pipe, this long you know you know wander with him in his hands, and he gets in the ring and just oversells a big wind up as Hogan's back is turned, and then he's going to swing and you know take him out, 
And Hogan's just spending too much time pandering to the crowd and posing. You know, why didn't this mask man just, you know, attack Hogan from behind? But Hogan is able is turns around and uh, sees the masked man who tries to swing and ends up catching him in time and starts beating him down. And as the masked man tries to escape, Hogan's able to grab him and yank him back into the ring and starts pandering the crowd that he's going to pull off the mask. And when he pulls off the mask, it's Brother Brudeye. And what's unique is that, and I, if you go back and think, Brudeye came to the ring during Hogan's entrance. And then we we don't ever we see Jimmy Hart ringside, but we don't ever see Brother Brudeye ringside at all. So I don't know if in the process of the cage lowering down during all the fireworks that were distracting, did Brutus leave to go back to the locker room or did he somehow sneak under the ring? And was he the first masked guy that came out from under the ring mid-match and ended up attacking Jimmy Hart, ended up attacking Sting with the pipe? Or was there were there two guys that were masked? Did did you know Brother Brudeye go back to the back locker room, change gear to be a second masked man that came down at ringside? So Hogan is now super shocked that, you know, Brother Brudeye is supposedly turned on him. You see Brother Brudeye mouthing the words, it's not what you think, you don't understand. And they're just either eyeing each other. Hogan's in disbelief. He throws the mask down in disgust. He can't believe it. And then in the background, we, we see Kevin Sullivan all of a sudden get into the ring. And now both Brudeye and Kevin Sullivan are kind of at opposite sides, kind of cornering or centering Hogan. And then on commentary, we hear Tony Schiavone talk about, oh, my goodness, what's going on? The, 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 uh, the, the, the building is starting to shake. The building's starting to rumble. And what we see coming into the ring is John Tenta, who is in his most recent run WWF gear, at least the red bottoms when he was a part of the natural disasters. But the top part that said earthquake on it, He's just wearing like a plain black singlet because uh, he can't go by that name, uh, Earthquake. And all three men end up doing a beat down to Hogan. And at one point, Earthquake, John Tenta, who is going to be eventually known as the Avalanche to start his run in WCW, he ends up setting up Hogan for that big Earthquake, you know, sit down splash after running the ropes. So Hogan's been, you know, taken out and then eventually Sting who was brought to the back, ends up coming back to ringside, doing a run-in, doing a save, and ends up thwarting all three men and chasing them out. It's live and originally must have been such a shocking ending and to see people coming in to WCW like this and an alliance against Hulk Hogan, but looking at it knowing that, geez, kind of nothing comes of this and it grows into a joke over time is disappointing and takes something away from the ending. But originally this must've been like, Oh wow. What a great storyline. I can't wait to see what happens next here. Yeah, absolutely. It's having that foresight into what the future holds that really doesn't do the angle justice. But I think at the time it's probably 
like you said, Kevin, more like, holy cow, geez, Louise, look at what, what they're doing. I wonder where they're going from here with it. And, uh, you know, it could have been a great storyline if it was executed properly. But then once again, here we are talking about wrestling storylines getting executed uh, properly to their, their creative uh, peak. So that's it for the pay-per-view, guys. Uh, anything you want to add about Halloween Havoc 1994? I love me some Sensational Sherry 1994. She's stunning on here. Absolutely. Her and Steve Austin. <laughs> Both stunning. Both stunning. All right, so you know what time it is. It's time to rank them. Um, why don't we rank the match first? Because usually that's what we do. Um, let me just pull up my notes here. Okay, so our top five matches uh, currently... Number one is the Nasty Boys versus the Steiner Brothers. Number two is Flying Brian Pillman versus Lex Luger. Number three is Bobby Eaton versus Terrence Taylor. Number four is Lex Luger versus Ron Simmons. And then number five is the Thunderdome match. So are we all in agreement that the main event, the Rage in the Cage Hogan Flair, was the number one match, the match of the night? I think that's the match we should be talking about. Yeah, agree. All right. I agree with that, too. So is it better than the Thunderdome match? I am going to put it ahead. I think it just there's a lot more crowd involvement, had a big match feel. You know, the storyline at the end with the big turn was a little, you know, shady, but uh, I, I was entertained like crazy watching this match. It, it's above Thunderdome for sure. It made more sense than Thunderdome. All right. So Thunderdome is no longer on the top five. Um, is it better than the Lex Luger versus Ron Simmons two out of three falls match? I would say so. I would say as well. Yep. I agree. Of course, that second fall in the Simmons match made no sense. So um, is it better than the beautiful Bobby Eaton versus Terrence Taylor match? I would put it ahead of that one as well. I'm going to. Yep. I agree. All right. Number two. Is it better than the flying Brian Pillman versus Lex Luger match? I would put it ahead of Pillman Luger. Agree. All right. I will agree there. So is it, do we have a new number one guys? Is it better than the nasty boys versus the Steiner brothers? I'm pumping the brakes right here. Oh God. I didn't want to be the only one <laughs> to be. A, I, that's a great match. This is a great sports entertainment. Yeah. And that's my dividing line. I honestly thought it was going to be two to one against me on that one. <laughs> I would put this number one personally. This has been the most entertaining match we have watched so far. I opinion. have a lot more love to the Steiners and the Nasty Boys just potatoing the hell out of each other from that 1990 pay-per-view. But I know uh, next week's main event will be number one. So, <laughs> All right, so that means number two is the Hogan versus Flair steel cage match at Halloween Havoc 1994. Cannot unseat the Nasty Boys versus the steiner brothers all right let's rank where we would put this show in our halloween havoc rankings this wasn't actually a really entertaining show pretty easy watch i, I thought. thought so too um, I, I enjoyed it so is it better than 1992 i would say it is yeah. all right is it better than 1993 i would say yeah. it is is it better than 89 this is where i start to struggle yeah, um, the whole card, I don't know. Yeah. As, as a whole card, I say it stops there. I think it stops there as well. 
See, I'm a little higher on this than you guys because I would have had it number two. Personally. Oh, wow. I think it's better. Than, I think it's better than the '90s show. Of course, the '90s show is the abridged version because Shame McMahon showed oh, up. Oh, that's but right. Shame, shame. You guys are going to put it below eighty-nine. All right. So our, of course, our top. Well, our to, our top three we'll say is Halloween Havoc '91 is number one. Number two is '90, and then number three is '89. So, guys, on next week's show, Halloween Havoc 1995, there's nowhere to hide. All will be terrorized when the giant emerges in this ghostly grande event. Guys, this might be one of the most infamous Halloween Havocs because we get the monster truck match between Hawk Hogan and the giant. And then, of course, we get the main event is the giant taking on Hawk Hogan for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. This is after the giant has fallen off the roof. I cannot wait for this one. I'm excited. What about you guys? Are you guys excited? I remember, I mean, I think we all remember the monster truck match. <laughs> um, I don't remember. I remember them playing it up like, oh my God, how did he survive that fall? But I'm very curious to hear the commentary during right. that, though, I, like just to kind of pick it up, because when you're younger, you don't look for the things that we are looking for as we're reviewing these now. Well, that's right. the thing. You know, Paul White was younger then, so he was able to ascend his fall from the Kobo Hall, very similar to how The Undertaker ascended from his <laughs> casket match that he had with Yokozuna from the Royal Rumble and, you know, eventually made a comeback. But, you know, Paul White was able to do it that same night. I mean, I've seen so many, we'll call them highlights of the show over the years, but I don't know the last time I watched the whole show at once. So I'm I'm going to be very curious how it flows. And we should try to maybe see if we can find, Kevin, I'm going to give you a little homework here, okay? Oh boy. See if you can find the WCW main event, which was the show before the pay-per-view. Okay. Because the number one match is Eddie Guerrero versus the Disco Inferno. <laughs> Listen to this. Let, let's just go through real quick what 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 was on the like Sunday Night Heat, the, the WCW main event. Eddie Guerrero versus Disco Inferno, Inferno. The Renegade versus Paul Orndorff. And then the Blue Bloods take on Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. That's crazy. All right. I, I sent a reminder to myself and to you guys. I'll look for that, too. Yeah, I'm just curious if if we can find. Of course, you know, with your internet prowess, right, you'll find half right. the show. So yeah, <laughs> um, so that's gonna do it for us. Like I said, even though it is November, we are rocking and rolling in Halloween Havoc. We are just getting into the meat of the sandwich. So the educator, why don't you? Uh, what do you have to say to the audience about the tasty meat? <laughs> oh, I not much, baby. I want to say thank you to everyone who has been uh, following us and tuning in and listening to our shows. We thank you very much for your your support. Uh, I want to say thank you to uh, my two colleagues here, my two co-hosts going through this show. Definitely a fun time, a fun discussion. Like to hear your, I uh, love to hear your guys' take on some of the sh- uh, matches that we were able to critique tonight. And uh, always interesting for Kevin's uh, Hellion spin here. Uh, when he does his uh, his call of the random match of the night itself. Uh, as always, a big shout out and a thank you to the Retro Network for giving us the, the initial platform for this show, for their continued support. 
And of course, uh, fun.com. We thank you for your sponsorship on our show. And uh, I look forward to chat chat with you guys next week for Halloween Havoc 95. Yeah, and I just want to say, of course, you could follow me online on Twitter at Maddie Treats. That, of course, is at Maddie Treats. Thank you to The Educator for breaking every match down. Thank you for Kevin Hellions for breaking one of the matches down. Uh, thank you to the Retro Network. And just because it's not a Halloween season anymore, we, we still have a lot to be thankful for. And I'm thankful for getting into mid-90s, late-90s WCW gold is what we are going to be watching over the next few weeks. Um yeah, you know, thank you. If you like our show, please tell a friend. Uh, as we go through, we are growing the show, of course, organically, and we appreciate all of the, the the fun and support that we have had, you know, since we have done this venture. And Kevin Hellions, why don't you take us on? All off? right. And uh, again, I will send a thank you to my co-host tonight for another great show. Thank you to Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you, WWE Network, for the content. Thank you to Richard Reader and Jason Gross for our logos. You can follow us across the internet at TRN House Show. You can follow Matt at Maddie Treats, myself at Mass Library, and MassLibrary.com is my home blog. Make sure to check our links for Halloween HalloweenCostumes.com and Fun.com. Uh, we always have fun going back and forth with our friends over at Odds with Wrestling. And guys, big announcement big announcement this week i i'm sorry to break this to you at the very end of the show i won't be here next week um but my uh brother dave will be filling in for me so uh dave will be calling the one match of the show when uh he's tagged in for the hot tag i warned him and uh, i'm not sure how his notes will be but i expect good things This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.